This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Hello, I'm Kat Sarfus, a forever bookseller at Barnes & Noble. Today, we are joined by the lovely Heather Walter. Heather is a native Southerner who hates the heat, a former English teacher and current librarian. She is the author of Malice, a former speculative fiction monthly pick here at BNN, and Miss Rule, the stunning conclusion to the Malice duology. Welcome! Thank you so much for being here with us. Of course, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yes, Malice. So this book was pitched to me as a queer retelling of Sleeping Beauty where the villain takes the stage. There was so much yes about this book before I even read it. But then, you know, we all know the tale, the curse, the wicked fairy, the kiss, but there's always another version of Happily Ever After. And this wildly imaginative take on a classic fairy tale offers epic world building. You've got a rich history and inventive magical hierarchy. To me, Malice is more than just a retelling. It's a complex character-driven story with harrowing twists, action, political intrigue, betrayal, and of course, a slow burn romance that you never want to end. So I have to ask, where did this story start? This is your debut novel. What was the spark that brought this all together? And the very first spark, I think that I got from Malice was probably watching the Disney movie, the Sleeping Beauty animated one. And mm-hmm. I was always just so struck by the Maleficent character that I was just like, oh my gosh. And I had, but I had all these questions even as a kid, like, why is she the only one? Like, why does she live in this abandoned castle seemingly in the same kingdom as this like regular kingdom, but she's like the only one and she loses all these like weird guys. And then... <laughs> She like doesn't get invited to the party, but she seems like this very like regal put together villain. And all it takes is this one little non-invite to spark like, I'm going to show up and curse your baby. Like even as a kid watching this, this seemed very extreme to me. So I always had a lot of questions. I was always drawn to that villain in particular. Malice was not actually the first book that I wrote or that we tried to sell. And so we were actually trying to sell another novel when I was kind of going back and thinking about I love villains. I've always wanted to write morally great characters and villains. And so I kind of circled back to my initial love of the story and of the character. And I thought maybe now is the time that I write it. And so I, again, started bringing up all those questions because it's not just Disney. It's all of the Sleeping Beauty fairy Mm -hmm. tale retellings where there is the single dark fairy. And she does just kind of like get mad show up, curses the baby. Sometimes we never see her again in the version. Sometimes she comes back, but I was just so curious about her. So I started kind of mapping out and thinking like, how would I feel if I was the only one in the realm with this dark power? And what would it take for me to really lash out? And really it's it's funny because you think like, oh, people get really, really mad about something and they lash out, but that's sometimes true. But it's also true that those big extreme reactions like that often stem from love. And so I thought, what if the dark fairy and the princess were actually much closer in age and they were in love? And that is really what kind of sparks this big dramatic blow up is not a party, but it's love. And so from there, I think it's going to be the fastest novel I'll ever have written (laughs) after after writing Misrule and and working on other things. At the time, I thought writing Malice was normal, but I think it was the fastest novel ever, right? Because Alice just plopped in 
into my brain fully formed. And then the story just really just kind of carried itself. I love that you're talking about how your favorite characters are usually villains. And I think that, I honestly think that that's such a secret truth for a lot of us. I think a lot of us, these secretly root for the films. I think also it's just something about these morally gray characters. They're just so intriguing in general. Why are we so intrigued by these villains? I think for me, I honestly think it's because the villains do what we wish we could do and like mm-hmm. the secret dark parts of our heart. And so traditional stories a lot of times have these heroes that are always rooting for good. They're doing the right thing, even when it's hard, like taking the high ground, not letting people get them down. And that is not 99.9%. (laughs) Like truly though, whether you're just like really petty about something or you're mad at somebody or you're just whatever, like we don't always want good things for other people. (laughs) There there are just mornings where you wake up and you choose violence. You're like, this is not the day. I am not the person. (laughs) Yes. So I think we're drawn to these villains because in a lot of ways, the villains are a lot more real than the heroes. I remember recently rereading some of my childhood favorites and going, gosh, these characters are boring. Um, (laughs) They just always do the right thing and things always work out and good always wins. And I think especially in these times, Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking around and we're seeing that that is just not the case. And so villains a lot of times subvert the normal way to do things, if you will. They subvert what they're supposed to do and they go after what they want. And I don't know anybody who, if given the freedom to just go after what they want, wouldn't yeah. take it. But we have all these societal constraints, you know, it's wrong to this, wrong to that. And a lot of those are very good constraints. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, let me, let me, let me preface. <laughs> can't, can't really speak up for murder, arson. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. But in the, the deepest pits of our heart, we do just wish that we could reach out and take what we want. And villains do that. And so I think that's very attractive to a lot of people. Absolutely. I don't know what this says about me, but I love that Alice says dragon's teeth so much instead of like any number of colorful like expletives that she could use. I generally try to get creative when it comes to expressing my frustrations. Although I I feel like it's like it adds like color to the situation. Like when you're just feeling, although mine usually involve food, I feel like there's a lot of like fudge and like biscuits and like cheese and crackers (laughs) in my vocabulary. So I just want to know what you were thinking when you were writing that, where you're like, this is going to be her go-to phrase when she's angry. So it's actually funny. The very first draft of Malice that I sent to my agent to read, I think they said God's teeth or, you know, something about God's. And my agent, one of her notes was like, they keep saying God's and there are literally no God's in your book. So <laughs> she was like, there doesn't seem to be a religious system of any sort. <laughs> so I'm not really sure why they're saying this. I was like, ah, oh, she's right. And so I had to kind of go back and think about, well, what would they say? And then the kind of motif of Briar is the dragon from Mm -hmm. Queens and the dragon ships. And so for a while, I think it was by the dragon. And then it was just dragon's teeth. And I was like, yeah, that works. I like that. 
That's awesome. And like, I kind of feel like as I was reading it, I couldn't help but think like, how do I work this into my daily vocabulary without anyone looking at me like I was a nutcase? (laughs) Well, it's funny because people have, not many, but I'll see like tweets where they're talking about the book and, you know, whatever. And they'll be like, dragon's teeth, you know, and I'll look at it and be like, oh, yeah, that looks looks familiar. And then it's like, you literally made that up, Heather. (laughs) (laughs) I would have. That's amazing. So let's talk about the magic. So there's obviously this Alice is this villa magic, which you know she kind of doesn't realize and taps into when we discover and we kind of go with her on that journey. But you also have this whole system of these like grace abilities. What was your inspiration there? So like you're sitting down and you're like, all right, this is I'm going to tackle this retelling. But obviously there's so many other layers on here. And then, you know, you're working to create this sort of magical hierarchy. So where did you start with that? For that, the graces and just the magic system in general, I think one of the tiniest early germs of this story was from actually a different story where I was thinking about the idea of like the Grecian graces and how they all have like certain attributes and certain abilities. And I was like, oh, it could be fun if like I wrote a story where I've got the graces, but then I've got this one who doesn't fit in. I keep all of my ideas in like a note. And so when I was thinking about this story, it's kind of going back and looking at it and I saw that idea. And I was like, okay, like this could work because Alice is the grace who doesn't fit into the graces as we think of them as being beautiful and perfect, whatever. Like, so this could potentially work. But then again, in in every single Sleeping Beauty retelling, we have the good fairies and then we have the single dark fairy. And so the good fairies grant these attributes of beauty with grace, all of that. And so I liked the idea of calling them the graces because they are gifted that way. Each one of them has a specific breed of magic that, oh, I can, I can make you an elixir for beauty or, you know, this, that, whatever. So I liked that idea. And I also liked the idea of, because we have the graces who have been blessed by the Ethereans, who are the like full fae who live elsewhere, barely even in book one. Their magic stems from goodness. And then... If there's a good fairy, then there has to be the dark fairy. So when I was thinking about like, okay, why is Alice the only dark fairy, the only bad one in this book? I was thinking about like, she has to have a past. Like she has to have come from somewhere. And so from there, I thought about, okay, so we have the Ethereans who are the good fairies, but then somehow we had to have the Vila who came up and they used to be Ethereans, but then they changed their blood. And so now they're like the bad ones or whatever. So it's just kind of this like very old dichotomy that we're all used to of good versus evil. All the Ethereum magic stems from good things, which naturally lent itself to if the Ethereans were going to make magically gifted humans and the graces, it would make sense if these graces could only do nice things. Yeah. At the same time, I wanted to really play with, okay, so we have this good magic, golden blood can only do good things, but they're still doing really bad things with it. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of like, yeah, like, all right, we can't lie and you can only grant beauty and you can only do all these good things, but they find these workarounds in order to use their magic selfishly in order to, I mean, basically fought a whole war trying to exterminate another race, which is not a good thing at all, but they're still considered these good people. So I really wanted to create this magic system that has the two dichotomous good versus versus evil, but at the same time, good is not always good. And good can find a way to be selfish and greedy and evil in and of itself. And so, I mean, I think the question at the heart of the book is what is evil and can we even define it? 
That's perfect. There are so many points, as particularly, obviously, like literally, as Alice is sort of discovering, you know, who she is and everything that she's been taught. I love how you say how like the victors write the history books. And that's essentially what that is. And she's getting it from one perspective that like, this is bad and this is good. It was just very interesting to sort of take that journey and kind of knowing that they can't be that perfect. Obviously, they fought this war, like, which is not good. And so how there's something there, there's something else there. And so I think the journey discovering that was just loads of fun. I'm going to do a little spoilers for the end of Malice. Y'all should have read it by now because we're, <laughs> we're getting into misrule. And I got to go into a little bit of TikTok. And so I have to ask you, because I feel like I love you on TikTok. I think you're <laughs> so much fun. What that experience has been like with Malice and being on having this book sort of take off and just get that love from that community. What has that been like for you? And then of course, I'm going to ask you like what your favorite TikTok video is that you've done. It was crazy. So I will be very open here. I'm 34. I did not consider myself as belonging to TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) I joined maybe a year ago, maybe like Mm -hmm. a year ago close to the week because I remember hearing about TikTok all the time. And I thought that's for the youngins. Like... (laughs) I don't understand it. And then my agent sibling and friend, Chloe Gong, was all over TikTok. And, but I mean, she's, you know, much younger than I am. And so I was just like, of course she can navigate it. But I started hearing, you know, murmurings about book talk. And I think We Were Liars, got back on the New York Times bestseller list because of it, like just crazy stuff. And so as a debut author and even as a lead title, like marketing is tough right now. And so it's, it's like your publisher can only do so much for you. And I have been very lucky with my publisher very much pushing my book and supporting me, but you still have to do a lot of the legwork yourself. Like you're still selling your book yourself in a lot of ways. And so I remember I was just like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to jump in and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to have like, it's, it's going to be fine. I'll have like five followers and it's cool. So I signed <laughs> up and I truly wish I had footage of myself opening the account for the first time because I signed up and everything and I got on it and I had my phone and I'm just like, oh my gosh, everything is moving so fast. <laughs> Just like, what is this? And of course, like the first time that you create your account, like the algorithm doesn't know anything about you. So I was getting like the most random videos. And so, you know, you have to learn how to teach the algorithm, you know, what you want to see, whatever. But my first videos were just like, I would do like a video of like my book cover with like some song that I thought, like, I didn't understand trends. I didn't like (laughs) none of that. And so my first videos did, I thought it was great when they would get like 60 views. I was like, Yikes. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Watch this video. I was also comparing it to like Twitter and Insta, which are very hard to kind of crack those algorithms and yeah. get people viewing or stuff, whatever. But yeah, and it was very fast. It was very like out of my comfort zone. But the first video that took off for me, where I finally started to go, okay, this is something I can maybe actually do this, was actually a video. My girlfriend Lindsay from the dedication of Malice, actually, we were going into Barnes & Noble on the day of launch. And I 
I was going to see it in the store for the first time. And she was like, I'm going to video you walking in. And I was like, no, like, don't, I don't care. Like, just, I just want to see the book. Like, just, let's just go. And she was like, well, I'm going to do it. And so <laughs> she did. And it was just a video on her phone. And so she sent it to me. Um, it was really cute. And I just like slapped it on TikTok. Like I didn't use the sound. I didn't do anything. I was just like, I'm finding my book from the first time. And at that point I was like resigned to, this is not really my space. Like whatever, I'm going to get whatever. And like a couple hours later, it had like tens of thousands of views. It just hit that algorithm somehow. And I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. So that was kind of like the hook that got me in. Mm -hmm. And then I started, I did, I had to like learn. I have Chloe can uh, publish our DMs one day of how I would message her and ask her about like, what is the etiquette for duetting? (laughs) (laughs) What are the tools here? (laughs) Where do you find the noises that you use? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it was an education. I had to learn about like, you know, trends and and how to like, you don't just use the songs that you like, Heather. Like you have to use the sounds that like people are actually listening to in that moment. <laughs> no, that's amazing. If you were just like, you were like, I'm only going to use my sound <laughs> by TikTok trends. But no, I totally get it. Yes. You got to follow, but there are the rules. Yes. The second part of your question, I really was just like blown away. I hope it stays this way because right now I was expecting like a lot of trolls. I was expecting like meanness and it happens a little bit, but I really have not seen that at all. The only time that I've had any kind of a negative experience and it wasn't even that negative was somebody posted a spoiler in the comments and then everybody was mad about it. And I didn't realize I could delete comments. And so like, there's like this discourse about like, why is this on here? Someone needs to take this off. And then finally I figured out how to delete like, oh, I was like, me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm the one who needs to take it off. <laughs> but yeah, everyone's been so nice. They've just been so supportive. They love it. Just making me feel good from someone. I suffered with a lot of social anxiety as a teenager and even into my early 20s. In fact, like me being on TikTok at all is huge because I used to adamantly avoid any kind of like photography, any kind of video, because I absolutely hated the way that I looked and any kind of picture of myself. It would just be like, I don't, I don't want to look at this. I don't want to see this. And so the fact that I am like producing videos every day where I'm just being like silly and getting on there and doing my thing. Like even five years ago, if you would have told me that I would have been that comfortable on a camera, I just would have laughed at you because it is just huge. And the, and the big part of that is the community just not attacking me for being myself, just like supporting and being like that. And so I really hope it stays that way because some platforms is very toxic now, like definitely don't love being on those spaces, but TikTok has just been amazing. And truly I thought, you know, like, okay, views are great, but I can go into my sales and and look at that. And if I have a video that hits the algorithm, like the sales do spike. So like it actually works. It is a safe space. And I feel like it's a place for people to be vulnerable and emotional and raw. And I, I think that kind of just goes to what you were saying about how I think I always say that, like, I wish this space like existed. Like when I was younger, when I was a teenager, obviously I was talking about these books and talking about authors and loving these worlds that it was just crazy to me to think that other people didn't know they existed. And I'm sort of like living in this world in between my actual 
reality, but to have a place where you can go and express these feelings and then really just interact with authors like you and just have that connection. I think that makes all the difference. You obviously, you have a connection to a book, you have a connection to a character, and then to be able to talk to the author and to have that connection with the author and feel just like the circle is complete. Like you are now like completely entrenched in this world and how it was made and how it was formed and where it's going. I'm not surprised how well it's doing and what it means for book sales. Because I think we all kind of want that personal recommendation. Like I think we want someone to tell us how much they love a book. They just give us like the highs and the lows of like what it's about, but like how it made them feel. And I feel like that's TikTok. It's just emotion, which I love. (laughs) But it's so much fun. I'm going to ask you to talk about your head bobbing video. Oh my gosh, I'm head bobbing. That's so funny. So yeah, and I will say it has done so well. It did hit a million views. Like the last time I talked to you, I was mm-hmm. like, it might hit a million views, and it did. A reason for that is because it was getting some push. So like disclaimer on that, it was getting some you know, like <laughs> my made it an ad and like <laughs> and pushed it out. But before then, even before then, it was like two fifty, like the biggest viewed, most viewed video I'd ever done. And it was so like, I couldn't believe it. So it was like Thanksgiving week, I think around. And um, I really try to push myself to do at least one video a day. And it was like getting late. And I was like, Oh, I gotta do some content, like whatever. And so at the time, I was struggling with plantar fasciitis, which if you've never had, I do not wish it on anybody, but I was having it's basically like your heel hurts all the time. And the main treatment is just like stretching, stretch all the time. And so (laughs) (laughs) stretch it out. It's great. I I called them like my old ladies foot stretches. And so I'm like on my stepladder, stretching my foot out, looking at the TikTok discover, trying to figure out like what my content's going to be for that day. And I saw that the head bop video, you can't, you guys can't see me, but I'm doing it. It's okay. Very well. <laughs> it, was, it was going around. And so I was like, I guess this is it. This is the one that I'm going to do today. And so like, literally it was like split decision, stretching my foot out. I'm in my like tacky Hallmark Christmas sweatshirt lighting. I so <laughs> and I just like, I'm holding it and I, I'm doing the head bop. I actually, I did, I think I had to do like one or two takes, but I remember complaining to Lindsay afterward that like, I was like, this made me, give me kind of a headache because the way that I kept like trying to bop my head, like in time to the beat. So I did it. I like made it about malice and then I thought eh, it'll be fine. And then again, like it, for whatever reason, the algorithm hit it up and like in 24 hours, it had like a hundred thousand views, book spikes. It was just so crazy. And I just kept telling people like, look at this stupid head bop video that I just did. Like <laughs> this is the silliest video I have ever done ever. And it was just like something that I just slapped on there and it just took off. It was crazy. I think that's, and it, I honestly, I feel like that's exactly it. It's like those videos where you're like, okay, I'm just going to be totally authentic in this moment and I'm not really going to think about it. And it's going to like put, put a little piece of my true self like out there for everyone, like be what it is. That's what takes off because I think there's just that connection. Going back, spoiler alert, everyone, the end scene of Malice, right? Sort of reminiscent of a, an iconic ending in a certain book called Carrie. But so without spoilers, what can people anticipate from Misrule? Full disclaimer, Miss Marvel was so hard for me to write because that was a very iconic ending to Malice. And full story about Malice is when I wrote it, I really kind of envisioned it as a standalone because like you get to that end and you're just like, oh, yeah. she's full villain now. And yeah, like just like burn it all down. I'm done. <laughs> but when it sold, my editor was like, ah, we're going to need more. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Which at the time, you know, like shiny new book deal, I was just like, okay, cool. Yeah. 
Future Heather can do that. Future Heather can do like literally <laughs> anything. <laughs> Which I then Future Heather. Heather. <laughs> Future Heather is then like, ah. It was very hard to write because I truly did not really know what happened next. And then with all the love from Alice and everybody just really loving and being attached to Alice in a way that I hoped for, but I, I didn't fully anticipate. Um, I felt a lot of pressure to give readers the story they deserved and to give yeah. Alice the story that she deserved. Plus book twos are always hard to write. I had always heard that and I was like, oh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be fine. But no, it is like soul sucking <laughs> difficult. It was very, very hard. So I went in to write it. But one thing that I think uh, finally did get to that place where it is now, obviously it's coming out like in a month. So it is done. But one thing that I'm excited about that I hope readers are excited about and anticipate is the world is basically like a 180 from Malice and Misrule. And so at the end of Malice, you can kind of tell that that's where it's going a little bit. Yeah. Because like there is nothing left. And so yeah. Alice is like completely rebuilding. So the, the book actually starts. Um, and if you have a paperback of Malice, you can actually read the prologue. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you like exactly what happens after that last scene in Malice. But it starts like a few months after Alice's like big thing that she does at the end and she meets a new character and they decide that they're going to kind of form this court of creatures just like them. So instead of it being Briar with all of their hierarchy and the magic system and the corruption, they've decided that they're basically going to create this like evil commune and live in the ruins of the palace. So it's like if Tim Burton decorated Versailles for Halloween (laughs) is like how I like to talk. That's how you envisioned it. Yeah. Yes. Because it's like, you've got I love all of the new characters. My personal favorite are the imps, which is basically impulsivity personified. They do literally whatever pops into their head at any given moment. They're like little Sour Patch kids running around (laughs) the palace. (laughs) That is perfect. I imagine extremely fun to write. Yes, I love them so much. So I love the imps. I love the new characters. And I do think that... Misrule raises even more of the morally gray questions. One thing that I strove for was you really can't rely on any one character to be any one way. Like everybody at some point or other kind of goes off in their own direction. It's hard, it's hard to talk about without spoilers, but... <laughs> Sorry, I know. I'm like... <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I don't want to give too much away either. Everybody has a lot of moral gray, like literally every single character does. Like there's nobody in that book that is either all evil or either all good. And that's what I love about it personally. So this is the duology. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're confident that this will be the end. As of right now, I have no plans to write a third book. I have seen some early reviews of Misrule where they're just like, is there going to be another? (laughs) There's nothing on the table. There are no secrets that I'm keeping. Would I return? Could I see a possible like continuation? I could absolutely, but I don't know that it's going to be anything more than fan fiction. So (laughs) 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 a few months back, you were in New York and I had the lovely opportunity of going to lunch with you and it was lovely. I'm going to start the story off by letting everyone know that we both ordered the Boomer Special, which... (laughs) (laughs) First of all, 
I don't know why it was named that. There was nothing, I mean, personally offended, but <laughs> I still don't know what that says about me. Whatever. It was a really good lunch. But you did give me and everyone else that was there a wonderful sort of sneak rundown on a new novel that you are working on now. And I would love if you would give us just a little taste and an update on where you're at with that because honestly I can't stop thinking about it and I feel like it's pained me because I I feel like there's only obviously there weren't that many people there and it's like those are the only people I can talk to about it (laughs) and now you're here so I can talk to you about it again so the next one is right now it's titled Crimson Crown and it's another duology it is another villain story this time about the rise of Snow White's evil queen It is a Tudor-inspired retelling, and I have based the character of the evil queen on Anne Boleyn. And so it is kind of a loosely, loosely, loosely based Rise of Anne Boleyn, plus how did the evil queen kind of become the evil queen? And in the book, it it follows a character named Eilith. She is a witch, and in this kingdom, which is at times we're celebrated, they're persecuted. It's kind of back and forth, but they're just coming off a time when they were like heavily celebrated, had this like alliance with humans. But then there's this religious faction called the Order of Light, which has risen again and witches are now um, basically hunted, not even just like shunned, like hunted. And so Ilith and her coven are living in this basically a convent, but they're pretending to be sisters of the Order of Light and they're like hidden away. And so they're there trying to figure out how to stop basically the massacre of witches and how to kind of come back from being persecuted. Ilith is, she actually has a block in her power. Like she can't, she has, like she is a witch, she has her power, but she can't use it. And she thinks the answer to that is going to be actually going to the white court where the order of light rules, where there is a zealous king and trying to figure this out. So while she's in hiding with her sisters, she winds up going into the white court. This is where kind of the ambulance thing is going to get tied in, where she eventually will meet the king and all of this stuff will happen. And eventually she will become the evil queen that we all um, know. And I, I love her, but... <laughs> <laughs> So it's a, it's a little more of a, I feel like Malice was, um, I always said it was loosely based off of a Versailles, had kind of like a Versailles kind of world yeah. to it. This one is a little bit more historical. You'll definitely see like the tie-ins. If you're a, if you're a Tudor fan, you'll see the Wolsey, the Cromwell, the Henry, Catherine of Aragon. Like you'll see all those people, but very much in a different setting. Yeah. So was there something that drew you to that more historical where you're like, okay, to your point, I've done this, this gilded Versailles world. Like now I, I want to draw more or, or like, you know, retelling in a way. And now I want to go moved more historical. Was there a shift? Was there something that you'd always wanted to do? Not from the world itself, but Anne Boleyn for sure. I have always been very fascinated by her. I'm actually waiting on this book to come. It's supposed to come tomorrow. I'm so excited. It's called 500 Years of Lies. Uh-huh. Um, and it is basically about how Anne Boleyn has been made into this like temptress for the last three to 500 years. Yeah, um, And we really don't have any evidence about her to support that. I do think that Anne Boleyn was a very early feminist, as much as one could have been a feminist in the 1500s. Like, I know that was probably <laughs> difficult for her. Um, but this idea, I'm like rewatching Tudors as like <laughs> research or whatever. Um, this is research. <laughs> this is research. I feel that her story since her death has been told by men and by women who 
didn't really love her so much. I can point yeah. to, you know, some modern historians who just really despise her, who feel like she came in with these designs to steal the throne, to get the man to do whatever it is that she needed to do. I just don't think that that was her. I think she had, and in fact, if, if you look at some of the historical documents, a lot of the stuff that she was trying to do right before her downfall was pass legislation that would have helped the poor, would have helped women, would have been trying to kind of take some of the corruption out of the church. And at the time, Cromwell was kind of like the main religious guy in the country. And these laws would have directly impacted him and his bottom line. And so it's kind of like, "Mm, did she just like make Henry mad because she was either sleeping around or she couldn't give him a son? Or was she actually going after the rich people in the country? And they were like, "Eh, never mind. Like, we're going to take you out. So yeah, I think the idea of the Henry and Anne as being a love story is a complete fallacy because it's like you don't cut somebody's head off (laughs) if you're in love with them. Yes, literally. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And I would be very interested to see this story repeated in modern days because a lot of people point to, oh, look at Henry's love letters to Anne. Look at how he pursued her and he just loved her so much. And I'm kind of like, There is a lot of evidence to suggest that Anne would go to the queen, Catherine, and be like, hey, your husband keeps hitting on me. Can I go home? Catherine would be like, yeah, sorry, like go home. And then Henry would write to her about how much he loved her and how much he wanted her around. That's sexual harassment. Like He just like harassed and harassed and harassed her. And I think at some point, Anne kind of was like, okay, well, this dude is not going to go away. So what can I get out of this situation? So it's not necessarily like me wanting to paint Anne as this victim, because I don't think so. I think she made some bold moves. I think she made some bad moves sometimes. It's just this like, again, a, a dichotomy that we have, even with like historical women where they're either Madonnas or they're these temptresses. Yep. And there's like, there's no in between. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, you're in one bucket or the other. So my goal with this one is to paint, I don't know, realistic. We'll never know what Anne Boleyn was like, but my interpretation of how she actually might've been not someone who ever really wanted the throne because Anne Boleyn herself never would have thought of the throne for herself ever. She wasn't even that much of a nobility. She was rich kind of, but like she had no claims whatsoever. Divorce was not really a thing back then. Like I just really don't think that was in her sights. I think what she wanted was she had ideas of her own and she wanted to implement them and she saw a path and she decided to go down it and it just didn't go well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I suppose hindsight is, you know, 2020, (laughs) but no, and I just think I'm so excited because I just, again, I love how you talk about villains. I love talking about these morally great characters, going back to Malice, going back to Miss Rule, going back to Alice and just, who she is and what you did with her as a character and, you know, why so many people are drawn to her, drawn to the story. And then when you were talking about this new project that you're working on, again, I mean, now historical, but another sort of morally gray. I mean, again, there are people who they just push her into that bucket, that villain bucket, and just want to like close the door on that story and end it. And I loved how you were like, "Mm, not so fast. Let's sort of hear this woman understand her story, understand that we all make choices and we don't just make them out of a vacuum. There's obviously things that lead up to, and again, which is with Alice about how it's not like she didn't get invited to a party or, you know, the original saving media, like Matt Barry, like didn't get invited to a party. And she's like, like you're all cursed. (laughs) That obviously that's a little less realistic. Let's really explore. And 
I love what you're doing. And I can't wait to read this next project. I can't wait for everyone to get their hands on Miss Rule. So, so excited. So I'm going to ask you a few fun questions now, just sort of off the cuff, because I'd love to know what everyone's reading and watching. So what are you currently reading right now? Other than your research? I mean, I guess uh, yeah. I, I, I was saying, well, I guess like you're really like entrenched in oh, that right now. But. Right now, I'm lucky enough to have a copy of Final Strife. I think it's Sarah, Sarah, I'm I'm not sure. Um, And I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know her her last name. But it's coming out with Del Rey, I think in June or July, definitely summer. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. It takes place in a world where the classes are divided by their blood types. And so it's like the embers are kind of the highest class with red blood. And then we have, you have other, like the dusters have blue blood. And then like the lowest cast has clear blood. And it is an... Kind of a little bit similar to my new project where you have an ember who has red blood, but she is like actually being raised as a duster and like is trying to get in and tip the power balance. So a lot of like espionage, a lot of angst in that one. I'm just about halfway through it and it's excellent. I think it's going to be really, really great. So that one's really good. And then one that I always recommend, especially if you're fans of Malice, is Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri, which is... So good. It has so much betrayal in it. It's about a princess who's in trouble and mad at her brother for being mean. And <laughs> I'm thinking about how Tasha would feel if she heard me describe her book. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. She's just mean. And then a servant, her servant Priya, who also wants to kind of like topple the power balance. And both of them are kind of like at odds, but it's also sapphic. And so like all kinds of stuff happens. So moral grayness like amplified by 500 times for Jasmine Throne. Loved it. Oh, love it. Okay. So obviously you've had a really big year. What was your favorite memory from this last year? With ever, I would say like with everything happening with your books, has there been anything that like has stood out to you? Oh, for sure. I mean, I know like we're talking like on this podcast for Barnes and Noble, but honestly, like the Barnes and Noble being picked for book of the month was like, that was, that has to be like, at least top three. It's so great. And I know none of you can see it, but I did want to show you. You can see my, like I have the... <laughs> you framed it! Yay! <laughs> so for, for everyone, who can't, everyone who can't see, when Heather came to New York, she saw the beautiful signage that we had in the stores and we shipped it to her. So she would forever have it and forever have that it was the February, I don't know if it doesn't say the month, but it was our February um, speculative fiction pick, Malice. And then we were so, so excited. And then my last question for you is, so then, you know, you've got this book you're working on, Miss Hula's coming out. What are you looking forward to most in this year? Oh my goodness. I'm looking for, you know, it's it's with Miss Rule coming out. I'm looking forward to that, honestly, like having that duology out. I'm looking forward to getting a workable first draft of this new project. <laughs> <laughs> Once I can get it like on the page and it's, it's all good. It's not just a mess. Like I'm very much looking forward to that. So yeah, I think that that would be like my top two uh, the launch of Miss Roll. Obviously it's going to be amazing uh, getting to hang out with Chloe Gong. We are both just a couple of villains. Like we know each other because we have the same agent. And so like, we're always just like, uh, like I, just her I just love picturing you and her. I was just like, just a couple it's of villains. It'd be great. <laughs> I joked with her that we are the two old men Muppets. They sit like in the balcony and they just like (laughs) heckle and judge everybody. And that's pretty much us. Love that. Love that. That's like an image that like never, that just like takes up permanent residence in my brain from now on. (laughs) 
<laughs> so you should all come to the lunch so you can see us and be old men muppets. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So Heather, I think that's pretty much how we're going to wrap it up here. So <laughs> old man muppets. Heather, thank you again. This has been wonderful. So Malice and Miss Rule, the spellbinding books of the Malice duology are out now. Welcome, book junkies, to another TBR Top Off, where we'll be recommending three titles for you to grab when you run in to pick up Heather Walter's new novel, Miss Rule. My name is Margie, and I'm speaking to you from my magnificent home store in Northville, Michigan. And with me, as always, is my book brother from another mother, Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, Margie. I'm Did you like to- that one? <laughs> that was pretty great. I do feel like there has been some sort of cosmic separation at birth with our book brains. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm coming to you guys from Cincinnati, Ohio in my fantastic store. And I'm ready to talk about fairy tale retellings. Well, let's let's talk about dark fantasy. Mm-mm-mm. Yes. Absolutely. I've got a couple if you uh, want me to just dive right in. Oh, yes. Take it away. Fantastic. So this is excellent timing for talking about Miss Rule because our May pick for speculative fiction at Barnes & Noble is also a fairy tale retelling. And it is The Shadow in the Glass by J.J.A. Harwood. So where Miss Rule has ties to Sleeping Beauty, The Shadow in the Glass is a dark and twisty tale with ties to Cinderella. So it's going to sink its claws in pretty quick. It's a little spooky, but mostly just like dark and, and fun. So we're going to follow Fallen from Grace Eleanor, who is slaving away under the service of her stepfather. So think very Cinderella, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when a fairy godmother appears and gives Eleanor seven wishes, things are starting to look up. She's ready to use this magic to kind of get back what she's lost. But each of these witches costs a very deadly price. And Eleanor's dreams of rising through the ranks of society are bathed in blood. This book is set in Victorian London. And it's a loose retelling that has a really fantastic sense of time and place. The creepy magic and costly contract adds a really lovely sinister flavor. So if you loved Malice and Misrule, even books like Cinder or Cinderella is Dead, absolutely stop into your store and pick up The Shadow in the Glass by J.J.A. Harwood. Oh, perfect. That's I, I will never trust somebody who says they can give me wishes. I don't care. I'm just yeah. going to say no. I mean, monkey's paw all over again. <laughs> Tale as old as time. Well, for my pick, I am going to tell you about someone who's behaving badly and wants to. So let's talk about Hench by Natalie Zena Walshots. Anna, our anti-heroine, works for bad guys in a world where superheroes and villains go head to head daily. Anna's only superpower, though, is data collection, how to collate it, manipulate it, and eventually how to weaponize it. After a horrifying encounter with a hero, hear my air quotes, leaves her badly injured and out of a job, she realizes that the human cost of caped crusaders is higher than society thinks, and maybe someone should do something about it, and maybe that someone should be her. Scoring a job with the most feared villain on earth is a step in the right direction, and becoming his most valuable lieutenant means she might just save the world. 
even as she's working for the dark side. This is a sharply witty, fascinating tale of office politics, data science, and quantum physics that explores the meaning of justice and what it really means to be a villain. And that is Hench by Natalie Zena Walshaps. Oh, I love that book. It was so much fun and is such a nice antidote to the deluge of Marvel movies and like superhero fatigue. It's a really fun way to dip into this from an almost office standpoint. It's so much fun. I love when we have read the same books. Yeah, again, book twins. <laughs> I do have one more to talk about and it is a true treat. This book is the first of a series. It's so much fun. I I've been waiting to talk about this for a while, and it is a book called Every Heart a Doorway by Shana McGuire. The premise alone for this book should be enough to get people excited. So think about all of those kiddos who have stumbled upon a magical world. Your Harrys, your Alices, your Wendy Darlings, your Lucy Pevensey. So what happens to them when they return home? What kind of life can they live when they're longing for that magical world to take them back? And who can they turn to when no one believes their stories of adventure? Well, don't worry. You can send your lost kids to Eleanor West's home for wayward children. This boarding school slash magical therapy center is designed to let these children be believed and to reintegrate them into the truly boring by comparison real world. The book marks the beginning of a series, so don't freak out if you fall in love with these wayward children because you'll get to revisit. It feels like an extended version of something like The House in the Cerulean Sea. And it's a great study on, you know, you get that magical kid, he has an adventure, what happens next? Apparently, a lot of boring, bleak stuff, but in Shana McGuire's hands, these kids are well taken care of. Please pick up Every Heart a Doorway by Shana McGuire. Oh, I want to read that one so bad. It's fun. Well, it looks like it's time for us to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening to Poured Over. Please like and follow us so you never miss an episode. And you can follow Barnes & Noble on social media at Barnes & Noble. I'm Margie. I'd love if you followed my home store at BN Northville. And you can find me on Instagram at Margie Bookbrain. And I'm Mark. You can follow my home store at BN Westchester, or you can pop onto my Instagram at bookmark79. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Happy reading. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.